Amen. Good morning, beloved. Good to see you. I ask you to please take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 15. We're finishing up our three-week vision series on what it means to be a gospel-centered church, and we're jump, jumping back into the gospel of Matthew next week, but we've been learning kind of these three things about a, a gospel-centered church, what we do, what we believe, how we act, and what we want to be at Redeemer Church is a, a gospel-centered church for North, North Houston and the nations, that we are rooted here, we want to shine our lights here, and then do ministry all around the world, and we're going to do this by making disciples and making much of Jesus, making disciples here in North Houston, all of us, together, and then helping see disciples get made all around the world. Jesus made much of all around the world with these three ways. Here's how we'll do it. And these were the three weeks of the series, Gospel Doctrine, Romans 1 through 11, the first week we saw, which you can find all these on, on, online. Last week, we saw Gospel Culture, Romans 12, 13, and 14, and part of 15. And then now, Gospel Mission, what a gospel-centered church does outside of these walls together for the name of Christ, Romans chapter 15. So that's what we're going to see. This is what Paul shows us, what a gospel-centered church does, what gospel mission looks like. And if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word, and we'll begin in verse 20. And here's what our brother Paul tells us, what he's after and what we should be after too. It's also up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Paul says, my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. That is why I've been prevented many times from coming to you. But now I no longer have any work to do in these regions, and I have strongly desired for many years to come to you whenever I travel to Spain. For I hope to see you when I pass through and to be assisted by you for my journey there once I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Right now I am traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints because Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased and indeed are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual benefits, then they are obligated to minister to them in material needs. So when I have finished this and safely delivered the funds to them, I will visit you on the way to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in fervent prayers to God on my behalf. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints and that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed together with you. May the God of peace be with all of you. Amen. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now as we hear your words. Would you, would you meet us by the power of the Spirit and show us how we can grow and show us how we can be on mission for the name and sake and fame of Jesus. Help us now, Lord. And it's in your name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. So the church of Christ, from day one, has always been marked by mission and has always been marked by an ambition 
for gospel mission, to spread the gospel. That's why I love what Paul says in verse 20. My aim is to preach Christ where he's not been named, to spread the gospel. And that's always been the church's aim. It's every faithful Christian's aim, to spread the gospel, to preach Christ. And this video, I think, will show it to us. Watch this video. In Jerusalem, A.D. 30, Jesus died on the cross, resurrected on the third day, and then ascended into heaven. Fifty days after his resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, and the movement began. In A.D. 42, Mark brought the gospel to Egypt. In A.D. 49, Paul went to Turkey and then to Greece. And in A.D. 52, Thomas left for India. The movement advanced. In A.D. 174, the first Christians were reported in what is now Austria. In A.D. 280, the first rural churches emerged in Italy. And by A.D. 350, nearly 32 million Christians inhabited the Roman Empire. In AD 432, St. Patrick spread the gospel to Ireland. In AD 635, the first Christian missionaries arrived in China. And in AD 900, missionaries first set foot in Norway. The movement advanced further. By the year 1200, the Bible was available in 22 languages. In 1498, Kenya's first Christians were baptized. From 1555 to 1562, 2,000 churches were planted in France. By 1740, on the heels of the Great Awakening, 80% of Americans were involved in a local church. By 1890, Charles Spurgeon helped plant 200 churches in Britain, also sending planters to Australia, South Africa, and the Americas. And by 1985, after 25 years of missionary church planning, South Korean Christians grew tenfold to over 6.5 million. And on and on it goes, God accomplishing exactly what he said he would accomplish in Genesis 12, 3. The gospel spreads because of an ambition and because of an aim to see it move forward, to see it plow forward, that's why the fastest growing church in the world right now is not in the United States, is not in this hemisphere, but is in Iran. Because there are men and women there with an ambition, with an aim to spread the gospel. And you know, you are here this morning because someone had an ambition and someone had an aim to spread the gospel to you. Christians are not made in a vacuum. They are made by hearing the word of the gospel and it being received by faith. And you have heard it and you received it. And now Paul is putting forward to us today his aim to spread the gospel. And we got to have that same aim. Every Christian's called to this. And look what Paul says in verse 20. I want to preach the gospel where Christ hasn't been named. He wanted to start churches where churches weren't. He was a, a pioneer, a, a trailblazer. And as this video, as it just showed, you and I are here to, because Paul and Peter and the apostles had an aim to preach Christ. And so did the people after them and the people after them and the people after them and the person that shared the gospel with you. 
Who will you share the gospel with next? You're here because someone shared it with you. Beloved, God has a mission for your life. And it is not just to get our paychecks, to enjoy our hobbies, to raise well-mannered kids and to attend church. God has equipped you for a kingdom renewal project where he is making the whole earth new and a battle on the front lines for a spiritual war. And for you, he has given the task of smuggling the gospel all around the world. You have a gospel mission. And what I think we need to begin to do is to really keep each other accountable to it. You ever, you ever been a part of an accountability group? It's a very, like, very churchy word to have, my accountability group. And here's what happens in accountability group if you don't know. You meet together and then you basically say, okay, what sins did you commit this week? What sins did you do that you were not supposed to do? I really despise that form of an accountability group. Here's why. It's half-baked. It's not enough. We need an accountability group that also asks what good works did you do this week that we could celebrate? And we need to hold each other accountable to mission. Why don't we have accountability times for who are you praying for? Who are you evangelizing? Who are you asking and pleading that God would save and that God would use you for it? That's the kind of accountability we need. One that's for mission. And as you read, Paul says, I wanna get to Spain. That's where his sights are set. And beloved, that's why among us here at Redeemer Church, as he wanted to go to places where Christ had not been named, so do we. That's why our mission strategy at Redeemer is to see evangelism occur among unreached people groups where less than 2% are Christians. That's why our sister Jessica, we've funded and she's been trained and she's going to Japan to spread the gospel. Because there are still people, places, and countries and ethnicities where Christ is not famous there. And we wanna be a part of Christ being known there. We want to plant churches through Acts 29. So we planted a church in Conroe. Why we want to plant more. This is our ambition. And so here's what we need to see, beloved. It is good for us to have a gospel doctrine. It's good for us to be a gospel culture. But to be a truly gospel-centered, healthy church, we must have an ambition for gospel mission. An ambition for gospel mission. So as I said, you're here because someone, someone gave the gospel to you. So who will come after you because of your gospel mission? Who could be sitting next to you on Sunday morning because of your gospel mission? Who could you baptize because of your gospel mission? Do you have, like Paul in verse 20, he says, my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. Do you have a gospel aim? An ambition for making disciples and making much of Jesus? Or, or is your life, your time, your money, your talents, your job, your home, is it just there? Or is it aimed toward bringing people into the kingdom of Christ in the fame of his name? Paul, it, Paul wants to do this among unreached, new places. Peter, he did it among the reached places. So it could be in all kinds of different ways, but listen, your ambition to preach Christ where he's not been named, it could be your coworkers. It could be your friends. It could be your own family members. It could be your time at the Tomball Pregnancy Center serving there. If you're a teacher, it could be the students in your classroom. It could be the children that you serve here at Redeemer Church. Uh, we can go on. It could be people you meet at the gym, other, other families that you've made friends with there on, at the soccer fields. 
but do you have an aim or are you aimless? I, I love watching my, my kids play soccer. Oliver had his first game yesterday. Ivy has had many games, but now, and both of their soccer games, they're very different. Oliver's games, they're more like huddle ball. Have you ever seen huddle ball? The kids are just a giant amoeba following the ball around. There's no passing. It's just kicking and running, kicking and running, kicking and running. But Ivy's teams, as she's gotten older and club soccer and all these things, the girls learn to pass. And it's incredible when you learn to pass. Things open up. And when you start to pass, you start to do moves and nine-year-old girls get their ankles broken. It's amazing. You start juking people out and all this stuff. But what I loved about when they started to learn to pass is some things what the coach would say. Sometimes the girls would get the ball and they would get it and then just kick it. And you would hear the coach in his British accent. I'm not going to try it. It's so good. But he would just yell, who is that to? Who are you kicking the ball to? There's nobody there. Look up. Assess what's going on. Pick someone. Aim. Kick it. And as soon as they started doing that, games change. And I wonder how many of us, we're just kicking the ball of life. Just kicking it. Kicking it down the field. No aim. Not looking to do this. Not looking to really evangelize here. Not looking to make a dent for the kingdom of Christ in our workplace or or among our neighbors and among our friends. Beloved, we must realize we are all missionaries. As Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian, every, every Christian is a missionary or he is an imposter. We may not all go overseas or plant churches, but we are all called to spread the gospel. We are all called to make disciples. We are all called to proclaim Christ because unless we live in heaven, we live on a mission field. Does anybody live in heaven? Anybody leave heaven and come join us in church on Sundays? No, we all live among people who don't know Christ. We all work among people who don't know Christ. So what will you do? I don't want you to to be the same year after year, week after week. I mean, what will you do? I heard about John and Lori Godbold. They wanted to do something. Um, And they went door to door in their neighborhood just invited their neighbors over for dinner, just wanted to get to know them and build those building blocks for gospel conversations. And people came, people from other countries, different age brackets, people even in different religions all came over and hanging out. And one of them said, can we do this? I'm gonna host the next one. Those building blocks for gospel conversations. Maybe you are doing something. I would love to hear. I would love to hear and be encouraged and share your story with a church about, look what they're doing. How can we learn together? What could we do? How can we collaborate on mission together? So what could you do for an aim, for an ambition and gospel mission? And here's what I know you must eventually do is what Paul says in the second part of verse 20. It's one thing to have an aim. Look at verse 20. It's good to have my aim. I have an ambition, but to make sure it's the right one. What? To preach the gospel. Eventually, beloved, we gotta realize gospel-centered Christians actually preach it. Now, don't view that word preach the gospel as what's happening right here. This word is uh, preach the gospel. It's actually one word in Greek, and it just means spreading the gospel, sharing the gospel, evangelizing, heralding, teaching, speaking the gospel. You do that. It's one thing to be a nice and courteous Christian, but it is something else altogether when you become a heralding one. 
Here's what Paul doesn't do. He doesn't say, my aim is to be a Christian in these areas and live among these people in such a way that they ask me why I'm different. That is not Paul's strategy. And that's how a lot of us actually live. I'm just gonna live my good Christian life and I'm just, people are just gonna ask me why I'm so different. Has that happened to anyone ever? No. Unless you've gone through something traumatic and there's a reason why people are asking why you're still joyful in the midst of your stage four diagnosis. That happens. But I doubt in our cushy suburban lives, people ask, man, why are you so different? Because <laughs> oftentimes we're not. So we got to actually preach the gospel. Paul said, I'm going to proclaim the good news of Christ. I'm gonna tell people that God's Messiah had touched down in this world and he shed his blood, he died so you could be forgiven from all of your sins. So come to him, come and join his kingdom. You must eventually say the gospel. I love the phrase in basketball. I'm a big basketball fan. I love the phrase, shooters gotta shoot. I love the phrase, shooters gotta shoot. You will never get any points on the board unless you shoot. Kobe would have never dropped 81 points in Toronto if shooters didn't shoot. And even when I'm doing terrible at basketball, I just say, hey, shooters gotta shoot. Shooters gotta shoot. I'll make one eventually. Christians gotta proclaim. Gospel people gotta gospelize. Gospel people gotta gospelize. This is it. That's really what this word here means, to gospelize, to take that gospel doctrine you've learned at Redeemer, that you learn in Bible study, you learn in your personal devotions, and then take it and then take your shot. And no, you will get some bricks. You will have some air balls. You will get rejected. You, you might lose friends. You might even get fired. You might be emotionally persecuted. You might be socially persecuted. You may even be physically persecuted. But here's the deal. That is the normal occurrence of the Christian life. Because once we realize that the gospel is not just a message that when you die, Jesus will zap you to heaven. The gospel is more than that. The gospel is a message of the crucified and risen king, of him being Lord of all, and he invites and demands your allegiance to him. And he will welcome you into his kingdom. That is a controversial message. It is more than just Jesus can be your personal Lord and savior. It is more come into his kingdom. The gospel has always been against the grain of culture. Just, th just think with me how the gospel was heard in Rome. L look, look at what this says here. Nero did not throw Christians to the lions because they confessed Jesus is Lord of my heart. It was rather because they confessed that Jesus is Lord of all. Meaning that Jesus was Lord even over the realm Caesar claims as his domain of absolute authority. This is what we claim. Not an American gospel, but the real gospel. Jesus is Lord of all. I mean, imagine how this message would have been heard in the Roman Empire, that a former death row inmate, a former death row inmate in Rome who was certified dead by a professional Roman executioner came back to life three days later. And now as a former victim of crucifixion who is alive and well, he invites all sinners to come to him, Jew, Gentile, Roman. He invites slaves and free. He invites men and women. He invites Caesar and even little children to bow their knees and join his kingdom. There is a reason why the Christians were perse persecuted because of that message. And they did it though 
they spread it like Paul did, like that video over and over and over because they believed Matthew 28, the words that Jesus said when he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And if we believe that, then the next verse is what happens. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and for I am with you always till the end of the age. This is our mission, not just our churches, but yours too, your life, because disciples make disciples. Shooters gotta shoot, disciples gotta disciple. There's no coincidence for us why the early church picked the word gospel for our message. You know, the church did not invent that word gospel. We may have invented gospel music, but we didn't invent the word gospel. The word gospel in Greek just means good tidings. It means good news. It's a Greek word that was used in culture. It's politically charged to use it all the time. And in fact, I heard this week about a tablet, an inscription that was found uh, dating back to 9 B.C., So nine years before the birth of Christ, nine BC, it was commemorating the birthday of Caesar, of Augustus Caesar called the Priene Tablet. Look at what it says. It says, since providence, so this is like a birthday card for Caesar. Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus. So it's really praising him. You gotta gotta love the tone of this letter whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior, remember that word, both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, and listen, excelled even our anticipations. Oh, he's so handsome. Surpassing all previous benefactors. No one is as good as Caesar. Not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. No one will be better than Caesar Augustus. And since his birthday, and since the birthday of the God, Augustus, listen, was the beginning of the good tidings. Gospel, good news, same Greek word we use, euangelion, for the world that came by reason of him. So this is how the Roman world hears the word gospel. The good tidings of Augustus Caesar, the savior that is Augustus Caesar, the God, Augustus Caesar, and the good tidings, the euangelion he gives us. But then Jesus of Nazareth shows up. And what happens? He begins to teach about the euangelion of the kingdom of God, not Caesar's kingdom. He begins to teach about the good tidings of the gospel of the kingdom. And that if you believe in him and his sake, you can also live for the euangelion's sake. And remember that, the beginning of the good tidings, how does the gospel of Mark open? Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the euangelion of Jesus Christ, son of God. See, the church always speaks with good tidings, with real good news. See, the church realizes there are good tidings in Roman culture and the gospel says, oh, we have better news. We have better tidings. And this is so true of us in North Houston. There are competing good tidings in North Houston, aren't there? Just think about the good news stories that are all over the place and all over our culture. Our culture preaches the good news of success. You get success, you'll be happy, you'll be fulfilled, you have your joy complete. There's a gospel of power. 
There's a gospel of sports. There's a gospel of body image. Look this way, get fit this way, dress this way, fashion fulfillment, and you'll find meaning in your life. You'll have significance. There's the UN galleon of drugs, sex, and alcohol. Our culture has a gospel that love is love. There's the good news that our culture preaches of living vicariously through your children. Dump all your money into them. Dump all your time into them. If they're happy, then you'll be happy. There's the good news in our culture of being a good person. There's a good news of living your own truth. And there's a good news that all good news are the same. Beloved, that's all fake news. The real good news of Christ shuts down all other alternative good news accounts where he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ, the Lord, that through one cross, through one empty tomb, one faith, there is one way for sinners to be forgiven, to be accepted by God. So believe today, that is our good news. That is our gospel mission. And we need to have an ambition to preach the real gospel. So do you. Will you speak into other good news accounts that you hear people spreading, which is exactly what Paul does in Acts 17. If you've never read Acts 17, you should go read it. It's incredible. Paul sees all of these other idols, all these other good news accounts. And he says, I am here to proclaim to you the good news that you do not know. That God has appointed a man by which he will save the world. And he was crucified and he was raised on the third day. So come and believe in him. So what is your gospel ambition? I want you to have one. Paul, the Spirit, wants us to have one. Maybe, and just maybe one way that we could foster more gospel mission and more gospel ambition in our lives is if we get a mission verse. Let's get a mission verse for your lives. We, we talk about having life verses, verses that just really encourage you. And I think it's so good. Galatians 2.20 is mine. Uh, Matthew 11 is also mine. But what about a verse that ignites your ambition for mission? Paul has one. Did you see it? Look at, look at Romans 15 again. So he says, my aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. I don't want to build on someone else's foundation. Then look, he quotes Isaiah. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. So Paul grabs this verse from the prophet Isaiah and he says, this is what I want to do. That those who were not told, they're going to see because of me. And that those who have not heard, they're going to understand because of me. This is what keeps Paul going. Why? When he knows he's going to be persecuted. I got a verse. I'm going. When he was just pelted with rocks, but yet he gets back up and goes back into the city. He's got a verse that keeps him going. Get you a mission verse too. Whatever we do with our lives and how we live for Christ, I think if you want to be legit and you want to be long-lasting, you got to tie it to some Bible. Because if, if you leave today and you feel like, man, I feel, I feel like I'm not doing enough for mission and, and you just feel kind of guilted, I don't want you to feel guilted. I want you to feel a zeal to go. But if you just feel guilt for, I got to share the gospel, it will not last. You might pray about it for a week. You might think about it for a month and then it's gone. But if you have a verse behind it that's pushing you forward, it will continue to anchor you and it will continue to excite you to go. Because I, I need that. 
I, I get tired too. I, when I, I'm sleepy or I just want to sit on the plane ride, I just want to sit in this Uber. I don't really want to talk to the Uber driver or I just finished working out and I'm sweaty and I can barely breathe. I, I don't want to talk to you right now. I get that way too. That's why I have Colossians 1, 28 and 29 on my mind that we proclaim him. That's why I come here every week as we proclaim him, Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's why I'm talking to this Uber driver because I'm proclaiming Christ to him and I hope that he can be presented mature in Christ at the end of the age. And I get tired, but guess what? I labor for this because of his striving with his strength that he works powerfully in me. We can't do mission on our own. But Christ through us. So find you a mission verse. Steal that one. I, I, I don't have claim on that. You can take it. I'll share it with you. Let it motivate you, remind you from mission. And like Paul, and like us today, we've got to be good stewards and collaborators of the Good News Mission. This is how we'll end this morning about being good news stewards. Good stewards of the Good News Mission. So Paul writes to the Roman church to teach them yes, to encourage them yes, but look at what he's also asking for. He asks for two things. He asks for funds and he asks for fervent prayers. He asks for funds and fervent prayers. Look at verse 24. So he tells them, I, I, I wanna come to you. I wanna see you and be with you. I'm gonna hang out with you guys, be encouraged by you, for I hope to see you when I pass through, and look at verse 24, and to be assisted by you for my journey there. Paul says, I have an ambition to get to Spain and I can't get there on my own. I need some funds from you guys. I need some funds from the Roman church. He invites them to collaborate in the gospel mission. And a lot of commentators point out about this letter, while it is so much doctrine, so much great theology, that Paul is also on a fundraising mission. That's why he talks about next how these other churches helped fund the church in Jerusalem that needed help. And so he's telling them, hey, I, I, I need help now too. I need help getting to Rome. Ministry and mission takes money, travel and food and bills and resources. Paul invites them, let's collaborate on gospel mission together. And so beloved, when you give to Redeemer Church, our collection and our funds, it goes to gospel mission. You fund pastors and staff to equip you and to serve you and care for you and love you. You fund ministry and mission to children and students and the Tomball Pregnancy Center and the Tomball Emergency Assistance Ministries and ministry to refugees. You, you assist missions and church planting all around the world. You are actively helping a church plant in Conroe. You are actively helping a church in Dubai and in the Republic of Georgia. You are actively, through your collective giving and assistance, you are helping evangelism occur in China. You're saving, helping save lives at the Tomball Pregnancy Center. So keep giving. Y'all are doing great. We're, we're meeting budget. We're, I'm so encouraged by our church. And we're so close to, to breaking ground on our building. We are so close. So keep giving. Because that building will be an asset for ministry because our funds together are ammunition for gospel mission as Ross Lester says so well. When you give and we get into our building, there'll be more counseling that occurs, more church planners to train, more children, more people, more classes to equip you in the gospel. So 
as Paul asked for their help to fund the mission, we're asking for you, let's keep funding the mission together. And let's fervently pray. Look at verse 30. Paul says, I appeal to you, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, through our Lord Jesus Christ, to strive together with me in fervent prayers to God on my behalf. Mission will not happen without us praying. It just, it just won't. And he prays for two things. One, pray that, verse 31, that I'll be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, that I won't be persecuted. Pray that I, I won't get captured. Pray that I can keep ministering. And then 32, or the rest of 31, and that my ministry to Jerusalem may be acceptable. Pray that the mission will go well. Paul doesn't even assume that his ministry is gonna go okay. We always think, oh, it's the Apostle Paul. Of course it's gonna go well. Paul doesn't think that way. Pray that my ministry will be acceptable to them. And so, beloved, if we're gonna have an ambition for mission, we also must pray. And maybe that will explain why we have so much lack of ambition. So we don't, we don't pray for it. We pray for our jobs. We pray for our kids. We, we pray for illnesses. We, we pray for business deals. We pray for all kinds of things. Those are good things. God cares about those things. But God also cares that you would pray for the lost person that you lift weights with, the soccer mom that you talk to on the sidelines at halftime, your colleagues at work. God cares about them. And not even just that you would offer like a blanket prayer, oh Lord, would you please save them? Make that prayer a little bit more personal. Oh God, give me the strength. Give me the faith. Give me the boldness to share with them. God, use me in their life. That's what Paul prays in Ephesians chapter six. I, I, I just love Paul's prayer in Ephesians six where he says, he asks this church as he's chained writing this letter, pray for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth. He's, that I'll have the words to, you ever pray that? Oh Lord, just give me the words. I don't even know what I'm gonna say. Paul prays that. Give me the message, give me the words as I open my mouth to make known, look at that, with boldness, the mystery of the gospel. For I am an ambassador in chains. And look at this. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. We think Paul is like this major, bold preacher, always going around yelling stuff. He says, pray that I'll be bold. Because I'm here in prison and I can feel myself not being very bold. He doesn't even pray for freedom. That would probably be a lot of our defaults, huh? Pray that I get out of here. That's not what he prays. Pray that I'll be bold. A bold enough to speak about it as I should. As I should. Don't let that make you nervous. There are shoulds in the Christian life. Yes, we're grace-based, gospel-centered, but there are, there are not shoulds for salvation. You don't earn anything. You don't have to do anything. You just believe by grace through faith. But there are shoulds in the Christian life. We should be both with the gospel. We should have an aim to make much of Jesus and make disciples. We should announce the good news and invite sinners towards his mercy. We should have a gospel ambition. We should have an aim. We should spread the news. We should give. We should be bold. We should collaborate and we should pray. I hope you get a gospel ambition that you'll be on mission as we're a gospel-centered church for North Houston and the nations looking to make disciples and make much of Jesus with gospel doctrine, as a gospel culture, on gospel mission. This is what Paul prays for them. 
That's what I want to pray for us. At the end of Romans 7, or at the end of the book of Romans, Romans 16, he says, now to him who is able to strengthen you. How are we going to do all this? How are we going to live on gospel mission? According to him. Who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic scriptures, according to the command of the eternal God, look, to advance the obedience of the faith. Paul says, we've got to advance the good news. Redeemer Church, we've got to advance the gospel. That obedience of faith, coming to faith among all people, all Gentiles, to the only wise God, for his glory, through Jesus Christ, to him be glory forever. And all God's people said, amen. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us. We want to be people of mission. We don't want to be just a, a doctrine teaching center on Sunday morning. We are not a synagogue but we are the church of the risen Lord Jesus with a good news message that is better than all other good news is in our culture. The Messiah has touched down and the Messiah has risen and he offers salvation to any sinner who will come to him. He offers a full-fledged pardon and forgiveness for all who would simply believe. So help us, Jesus, to take the greatest news in the world and to spread it, to make it known, to have an ambition. We need gospel ambition. We have ambition at work. We have ambition in our families, ambition in fitness, ambition in... We need ambition in mission. Help us, King Jesus. Help us to do these things now for your glory. And in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.